All right. It's going. No, it's not going. Yes, it is. Okay, I guess it's going. I don't know. You talk to Daniel afterwards. If this isn't uh, on uh, YouTube in an hour after we finish, blame him. Uh, not me. So, uh, tap dancing is a good way to uh, segue into, I think, the 12 steps. I've never done it in my life, okay? Never done any kinds of classes. When I was a kid, my parents didn't drag me off to class. I didn't, in high school, I didn't learn to, to uh, dance and so on and so forth like a lot of my friends did so that they could go to parties and dance sober. Uh, so I had to drink to dance because I didn't take any lessons. Well, you can't tap dance drinking, I'll tell you that. Uh, but here I am at this advanced age and I've been wanting for some years to do this. Uh, and so I think one of the things that you get from the 12 steps uh, from recovery is courage. Matter of fact, I was just in a meeting on Thursday they're talking about certain, uh, courage. You get the courage to try something that you have an interest in uh, and are willing to uh, commit yourself to it. And you do not do it uh, so that you will be uh, particularly proficient at it or, or perfect at it. You do it because it is uh, an interest that you have and you want to, uh, you know, fill out your life and enjoy what you're doing. Uh, so I went and I, I've taken four lessons so far. Uh, and when I got there, I found out that it's a lot more difficult than I thought. So just because I want something doesn't mean it's going to come easily to me. Think about that when you did, thought about uh, getting into recovery. You said, this is something, well, at that point, so this is something I need. And maybe there's something about it that attracts you a little, and, and you've met people or seen people who are sober, and they look like they're pretty happy, joyous, and free. And so you think, I'm going to be happy and joyous and free. I'll just go to a meeting. And uh, you're not happy, joyous, and free. And they tell you a lot of stuff to do. First of all, they say, they try to make it easy to keep coming back. And that's what my teacher said, to keep practicing. And you don't know, and you have to have a certain trust that those who are more advanced and, and the other students in the class, because I was a beginner and they were all more proficient. They had been going for months. I was sort of Johnny come lately, but the teacher was willing to take me. And uh, they kept saying, yeah, that's how we were when we first started. Uh, but you'll get better. And so I'm, I'm doing it with the trust that I'm actually going to get better. And so what he does, he starts out with these little simple steps. And you think, oh, I can do that. And then he says, well, let's, let's do it seven times in a row. And so it's just this simple little back and forth, back and forth with the tap. And I miss it here and there. I couldn't go back. They said, let's switch feet. Go to your left foot. Right, which, which left foot? <laughs> and uh, then go the other way. And I found out things like uh, I have more problems with one side of my body than the other. You begin to find out shortcomings that you didn't know you had. But they're not shortcomings that you might have to live with. They're shortcomings that you might be able to overcome by doing certain things. So you work at your shortcomings. So I found out, because I had had 
some back surgery many years ago, and uh, it had weakened uh, this uh, left left leg. But I, not so I notice it. Uh, but um, for instance, when I run, sometimes I don't lift up my left foot. So I always run with gloves on uh, in case I fall. So one of the things that we do with shortcomings, such as the running, is we try to adjust for them. In other words, we work at that particular shortcoming by doing something that counters it. So I said, I may fall now again, I am imperfect, but so that I don't really hurt myself, I do something, I wear gloves, because this is what you protect yourself with when you fall and you cut your hands up, and it's very hard to heal a wound on your hand when you have to wash it all the time. Learn that the hard way by keep by that shortcoming over and over without facing it. So I found out that I had a little trouble lifting this leg up as a consistent basis. But there were certain things I did, certain exercises I would practice. And I would practice them on a daily basis uh, to work on lifting this and getting this ankle to loosen up. So he'd show you a few, a few steps and uh, say, now work on that. And then he'd try to show you combinations of things. So he says, well, I'm gonna show you a little soft shoe. He said, oh, soft shoe, I watched Gene Kelly dance and <laughs> singing in the rain with uh, Donald O'Connor. And I said, that, that's what I wanna be. You know, that's the alcoholic wanting to be perfect and look good in front of everybody else, as opposed to being who you are and doing something that you enjoy. So he would so he said, okay, so we're gonna do this, and you do this forward, and then do this back, and then do this, and you go forward and this back, and this, and go forward and this back, and then you go this, and this, and this. And then he said, and then you do this, and he said, then you turn and you do that. I'm watching this. I'm watching this, and I said, so what's going on is my brain is here. Okay, so my hearing is working. I'm hearing him say things like, and then you, you, you spin forward this way, you spin forward that way, you go this way a couple of times, and you go that way a couple of times, so on and so forth. So uh, tapping all the time. And, uh, and I'm hearing what he's saying, but I can't get my, uh, my mind to tell my legs, to get the word across to my feet, to do what I'm seeing and hearing. Because there's something not quite working yet. Uh, in other words, my mind is supposed to tell my feet what to do. And what, I, I'm willing to do it, but I can't. And so I think this is a great metaphor for us uh, alcoholics. This must be a poor parish. Oh no, they have uh, two sheets. So. <laughs> This is my blog, by the way. We'll come back to this. Maybe not. You may not care. So, you know, it's a, it's a little chilly in here, but I may be full of hot air, and so I'll warm the place up. But, so, here's, a, I think, a metaphor for us, and one of the reasons that we might, where meditation might help, and I'll get more into this, is, so here's, here's the, here's the head, and you know, my ears are hearing, and uh, my eyes are seeing what the, what the teacher is doing, and it's trying to tell my 
you know, the rest of me, my little feet and all like that, what to do. But there's something in between. And it's the will. I want to do it, but I can't. I want to stop drinking, but I can't. That's because it's not that you don't hear something good. It's not that you don't see people living as uh, sober people or read something. I mean, uh, or just in your own self that I don't want to feel so badly all the time, or I don't want any more DUIs, or I don't want to go to jail, or I don't want to lose my job, my spouse, my health, whatever it is. And so you're telling your body, don't pick up that drink. Don't do this, don't do that. And we can't because this is broken, I think. And what we have to keep in mind, I think, is it's always under repair. Our will is always under repair. Uh, and the only way we really get to know that is when we try to improve our lives, and we can't. So one of the things that you find out, there's a lot of people, they say, I tried to stop drinking on my own. And uh, I couldn't. I wonder what's the matter. It just never occurs to them because they want to do something that, that they may not be able to do. So the metaphor of dancing is just because I want to do it and I hear what I'm being told and I see what other people are doing doesn't mean I'm automatically going to be able to do it. It's a slow process. And little by little, uh, my wanting to do something, you know, my brain seeing it, trying to get the signal across to my feet, it's not getting through. And people will say, well, why don't you just do what he shows you? Because you get this video, you get a video, and uh, you look at the video on your video player, if you have a video player, right? I bought one. Uh, so I'm playing it on my video player, and you can play it slowly, very slowly, and I watch, and I try to do it, and it just doesn't go. Uh, but everybody says, it'll be okay, just keep at it. So I think that's what we just consider. Everybody coming into AA wants to learn a tap dance. Well, you don't know that. You don't know how hard it is. As a matter of fact, I went to a ballet last night in the Denver Ballet Company, and I don't so much watch the arms and the hands. I'm watching the feet. And I realize watching those women dance, it's beautiful, and it looks so effortless. But it isn't. I watched what they do and I said, when they first started that, they probably couldn't do hardly anything. But they worked at it over and over and over, over the years. And now they make it look easy. But that's because they work at it every day. If you work at something every day, it'll become easier to do. And you then become of service to others. So these proficient ballerinas, when the little girl comes in and can't do hardly anything, they say to the little girl, little girl, that's the way it was with me when I was your age. That's the way it was me when I was you, before I had all this time. Not just time, but time and working at it. So that, yes, I bet ballerinas have bad days and bad moments and times when it's just tough. 
But they work through that. Why? Because they want to be ballerinas. We want to be sober. And we want to be proficient enough in our sobriety so that we're having more good times rather than bad times and so that we can be of service just because of the way we are with others. So the people, I might say to someone, I'm in a, I've ever to, I, I met a woman at a funeral. I found out uh, I was at a, I'd done a funeral one day and uh, I was with this woman. I, I wasn't with her, I just found out somebody mentioned, who doesn't know anything about anonymity, oh, so-and-so, my great niece is, and oh, she's an alcoholic. So I'm looking at this church lady thinking, I'm not telling you I'm an alcoholic. That's, <laughs> that's for sure, because you give me a Christmas card every year. So, uh, I'm not going to tell you. So, uh, I said, oh, I'd like to meet that woman. So she figures, oh, maybe the priest can help her, her friend who's been in expensive recovery, sanitariums, and so on and so forth, and is really struggling. So I go up to, uh, so I meet her, and I said, oh, come on over here. She thinks she's going to be yelled at. That's one of the things, you know, when you're an alcoholic, not in recovery, and, and a priest wants to talk to you. So I must have done something wrong, right? So she said, oh, what, what? So I, I, so I knew right away, okay, she's not in recovery, right? She's, she's not happy, joyous, and free. So I come over and I say to her, I said, I just want you to know, I'm an alcoholic too. And she just starts crying. Uh, and, and not that she's been outed. Oh, actually, she said, who told you? And I said, well, your, your, your great aunt over here told me. And I said, because she doesn't know anonymity. That's why. She doesn't know anonymity. I said, you and I, we know anonymity. She had enough of that. But I, I don't know how much into meeting she was. Anyhow, so I started telling her. And she wanted to start asking me questions. Yeah. I, I, she had the hardest time realizing that I drank alcoholically as a priest. Her idea of a priest was that you don't do that because you became a priest. You stopped being bad. <laughs> and then became a priest. And I said, no, I was bad beforehand. I decided to be a priest bad. And I, and I became a priest bad. And I lived as a priest bad. She just can't get that, can't get that into her head. So I said, we're just alcoholics. I said, we're, we're you know, we're not, we're, we're not immoral. So I said, uh, well, I might have done a few immoral things, but I said, basically, we're, we're sick people. So the sense of, but trying, so she wanted, wants to talk to me and so on and so forth. But the thing is, it, that what I was trying to get across to her, I don't even, I'm not even sure she got it, is we can become really helpful, uh, good people for the community around us, even though we've had this past. In other words, you can, but you have to realize your will is always under repair. That's what I remember, it's always under repair. It's not completely fixed, uh, and because we're, we're not going to stop being alcoholics or drug addicts or, or whatever the addiction is. We're going to stop living it out if we work at it on a daily basis. So 
my hopes for my 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 tapping is that I will get a, a little bit better to move from this is work to I enjoy this most days. So you hear people in early on when I went to meetings, it was work. And I did it well out of desperation, suicidal or you're gonna lose something or whatever. And uh, that was all those things. So it was work and I didn't feel particularly connected because I just didn't feel particularly connected. And I had all these images of myself. And uh, this could lead into the first part of the topic is if I start doing dance steps and I'm thinking about whether you will like me or whether you will think I'm good at it, I won't do it. I just won't do it. That's all ego. It's not only ego, uh, because if I had a big ego, I would do it. But it's a damaged ego, wounded by a lot of past things and that come out as, I am who you decide I am. I am who you think I am. I am what you tell me I am. In other words, I begin to see myself through your judgment, your eyes. And I think that was one of the reasons it was so hard for me to go into uh, not only my first meeting, or first meetings, but sometimes even new meetings where nobody knows me. What's the thing that you're thinking of? Uh, and this can be with home groups as well. You walk into the room and you get the mind starts going, what are they going to think of me? What will people like me? Uh, am I? Am I? Uh, who am I going to talk to? And uh, this stuff starts taking over you. And uh, so they're clean uh, before you. You know, and and so you get all this wounded stuff about you, about whether I'm going to be accepted, whether I'm going to be liked, and none of that has to do with being of service to anybody. You're not thinking about walking into the room and going up to someone who's sitting by themselves and sitting down next to them and saying, hello, my name is Terry, I'm an alcoholic. The reason I do that is because I don't want to. I want to go in and I want to, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a Catholic. Catholics go to church, they don't want to sit next to anybody. You know? They're not looking for fellowship. That's not our thing. We don't do fellowship. No, the Protestants they're into fellowship. AA, we're into fellowship. I said, we're I'm Catholics. We don't do fellowship. We have our spots in church and our pews, and our spot is always where nobody else is around us. And then we hear a lot about how we're supposed to accept and love, and 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 we take that intellectually, but we don't do it very well because we don't realize we're all broken people, we're all under repair. So we like to sit in a pew with nobody around us. Well, so that's kind of my, my spiritual DNA, if you will, and uh, I gotta work against that. Uh, so the worst thing to do is go into a very crowded meeting, like uh, 
you know, I openers on Saturday at the last minute, and there's only one seat, and it's between two people you don't know. <laughs> Anybody new to this meeting? <laughs> I want to be real anonymous. So I, I do that to counter any kind of craziness in myself over that, and I'll sit next to somebody often and say my name, and that I'm an alcoholic, because what's going around in my mind is uh, I'm not good enough, you're not going to like me. I call it the, uh, the looking glass self. So I dance for me. Whether you like it or not is not important because your, your idea of me is an opinion. And what I do in meditation is I get a second opinion. Because meditation is what allows me, as Joyce was trying to point out a little bit with the Centering Prayer, what meditation allows me to do is stop focusing on what you might think of me. Stop focusing on what I think of me and my shortcomings and failings and uh, character defects. And stop focusing on my thoughts. And just try to be and all methods of uh, meditation are simply to get you to stop thinking about all these things that, that just make life so hard and make us so isolated. Uh, so any, when, if you go to a yoga class and they tell you to practice a certain pose and you're working on that pose and they tell you to hold it, the only thought you have is how much you hate that teacher for making you hold that pose. <laughs> You're focused on one thing, but you're not thinking about a lot of other things. Uh, and, and then eventually, as the pose gets easier, which is what it's supposed to do over a period of time, is it begins to work on your body, and then you start feeling pretty good, and, and we tend not to focus on our shortcomings when we're feeling pretty proficient in something. So the invitation is, uh, and I sit and meditate, uh, so that I won't focus on all this stuff and I can just be present to what? Well, I stop focusing on that too. Uh, some people say, well, I meditate to feel good. Well, I try to feel good. Feeling good may not be the purpose of everything. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think in AA, feeling good uh, might be a bit secondary. We want to feel well enough to not drink and to be of service to others. I want to feel well enough to be of service to others. So sometimes someone will uh, uh, ask me for something or call, and the first thought that comes into my mind is, um, I don't want to do this, or this is a burden, or OS. Or OF. <laughs> Fooey. Oh, fooey. But that's the first thought that comes into my mind. But because of meditation, I've allowed myself some time each day to not pay attention to thoughts. Doesn't mean I don't have thoughts, it means I'm not focused on them. So I think the important thing to keep in mind when you're trying to meditate is focus. You're not trying to empty your mind. 
I mean, maybe some, I, I'm not trying to empty my mind, uh, but I'm trying to uh, take the focus on, on thoughts uh, as, as just let them, you just let the focus go. You don't, you don't grab onto them. You realize that they're there. It's a little bit like uh, hearing a train whistle going by. You're aware the train's going by, but you're not thinking about who's on the train. Is it a freight train? Is it Amtrak? How many cars does it have? And so on and so forth. I've never taken a train. That's all one thought after the other. This way you're just, and you wear those thoughts, but you don't pay a lot of attention to them, which means you make some room for another something else, and I call it an energy of power. And I may call it God, but think of it as a power and energy, a force, something that'll get you moving in a new direction. So, somebody calls or asks for something, the first thought comes into my mind is, oh, fooey, I don't want to do this. I don't pay attention to it. And when I don't pay attention to it, it loses its energy. And that's what meditation helps me do. I might sit down, and there are times when I'm bored. There are times when it's a little bit difficult. Aren't there times when you go to meetings and so on and so forth, but you don't stop. You just say, well, that's the way that one was. But I have learned over a period of time, you say to yourself, that I will be a better person. I will be better in my own skin, and I will be better for other people, simply because I keep at it. So I keep at it. That is... I am not doing it for self-centered reasons of I want to feel good, because sometimes meditation is going to make me feel good. It's a relationship. Now, it might not be a relationship with something you can identify. Let's see if this piece of paper goes. No, that's it for this church. Uh, well, there's another one underneath, but i got to get rid of this. Danny, where are you on the just me sitting by myself in relation with this, this power, this force, this energy. Now in AA we call it a higher power. I'll call it whatever you want. Uh, but it's a verb. Okay? So a lot of people say they don't believe in God. Uh, and I say, well, you know what? Neither do I. If it's in your box. It's in a box someplace. This is an idea. It's a thought. Higher power is not a thought. Matter of fact, the God I believe in is not a thought either. It's a verb. It's action. In my background, it's God is love. That's a verb. God is action. 
So I think when we talk about power, we're really onto something in Alcoholics Anonymous and the recovery programs. Power is energy, force, it is action. So when we say, I want a power in my life, uh, so I feel good, well, yeah, I want to feel good enough, uh, but that gets too egotistical, too self-centered again, if it's all about me. I want to be a verb. I want to be of help. I want to be more loving, more accepting, and so on and so forth. So it, it's a verb. And so the when I my meditating is so that I will let the relationship with this verb, if you will, this energy, happen. And this energy, <coughs> therefore, is free to do what it wants, uh, act the way it wants in my meditation. And maybe I say to myself sometimes, and I've read this by others who have been involved in meditation, and I hear it enough times that I think maybe it's got something to say. This energy can do what it wants. It can act the way it wants, and maybe sometimes it actually wants me to be bored, to see if I will stay in relationship with this energy and this power. Will I surrender? You know, we talk about surrender. Well, will we will surrender when we're desperate, but when we don't have desperation and we start getting, you know, you move from desperation, you get a day, I'm desperate, I'm desperate, desperate, then he's not so desperate, and now you're doing things for the sake of, first I came in for me, and then, uh, and then, uh, then we begin to shift into being of, of service, of connection, of being with others, of fellowship, and uh, the idea, it moves us out of our egos, Desperation is egocentric. But it got us in, didn't it? It was that power that got us in. But the same power it sometimes wants to know, I love you unconditionally, is what this power says to me. I want to know how unconditional your love is. I mean, would you really marry somebody who says, I'll be in a relationship with you as long as you make me feel good? Of course, you would. Well, some people would. Because we're alcoholics. We think, I can do that. But in fact, that's a lousy relationship. And it's not going to work. You can't make somebody feel good all the time because you're not in control of how they feel. <coughs> Alcoholics think they are, but we're not. So um, I just say that's the way it is this day. It's a relationship. But th then why do it, somebody says. Because I have found out that even on days when I try this practice of not paying attention to my thoughts, not being all about me, and just trying to sit, non-focused, if you will, and open, which is what all methods do. Centering person is, well, if you feel you're focused on your thoughts, just call upon a word or notice your breathing two or three times just to separate you from the scenario you're thinking about. And so I practice it, and I say, well, that was so-so. That was a long 25 minutes or whatever. But I notice I do better during the day. The proof is not in how you feel at the moment. The proof is in how your day gets better. And most of my days are better because I do this practice in the morning before I get going. 
And when I don't do the practice, I find out that my days don't go quite so well. And I think this is why the 11th step comes before the 12th. Because the 11th step said, do this, then be of service. Because you're less likely to be of service based upon what you want, or what your first thought is. And you'll be of service because that's what people are, are in need of at the moment, and you're willing to do it. So all this leads to the looking glass self, is what I call it. In the looking glass self, it's an image somebody gave me, we learn who we are when our, re our image is reflected back to us by others. It's not good. I am who you see me as, going back to the tap dancing thing. Learn who we are when our image is reflected back to us by others. I went to a meeting. I sat in the meeting. I didn't talk to anybody. Nobody talked to me. And I left and I never came back. Or I didn't come back until I got worse. Or I don't like that meeting. Because your, your crazy mind is judging. You're judging these people to be judging you. They would have talked to me if I was a nice person. They don't like me. Or I'm not important. And they've just proved it. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. And the whole group proved it by not paying attention to me. That's pretty self-centered. But that's what our woundedness does to us. Uh, and I'm not going to let that happen to me. So I learned from my sponsor, because I got this kind of thinking, he says, either go to the meeting early and talk to somebody. I'll go in and I'll say the stupidest thing. Hello, my name is Terry, and gee, it's, uh, it's kind of raining outside, which was obvious. And, and the person's probably looking, uh, and then I'm saying, and, and you're probably looking at me saying, what, a, what an uninteresting person this guy is. But first of all, I'm not particularly doing it for you, I'm doing it for me. But what if it's your first meeting? I, I walked in and I've said hello to somebody and then just sat there and, and then and any newcomers, yeah, this is my first meeting. So that, that woman was at her first meeting and somebody walked in and just said, hello, how are you doing? My name's Terry, I'm an alcoholic. And then, oh, yeah, blah, 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 yeah. They don't know what to say, but somebody said hello to them. You're not a worthless human being ignored by society. And, uh, but I started out doing it for me, and it helped somebody else. So that's, we're of service because it helps us, and it helps other people. I think with meditation, we kind of get to that. At the looking glass self, don't let your idea of what other people are doing, uh, in terms of talking to you or not talking to you, they're judging me or whatever. But that's kind of what we do. We, we learn who we are from our own craziness, or from how we see ourselves reflected back by others. And I think what meditation does, it allows us to let go of our self-reflection or what we think other people are thinking about us. Uh, so, and we just let ourselves be. And I think over a period of time meditation, we get comfortable in our own skin. Because I think this power, which I say is a verb of unconditional acceptance of us, I mean, it got us into AA. Not a lot of people make it. So, um, 
It's giving me a better sense of myself. Um, and all this negativity about what I think you're thinking of me or what I'm thinking of myself prevents me from being all that I'm supposed to be. That's what I want. I want to be all that I am supposed to be. I don't want to be all that you're supposed to be. That's your job. And I'm not trying to be somebody else. Well, yeah, I spent a lot of time trying to be somebody else. But I'm not somebody else. I'm a Paul's father. Uh, there's about a hundred of us in the world. We're a very small group. But we got big egos. Uh, that's, that's part of what the Paulists do. So there's this Paulist guy named Dave Dwyer. And uh, he works, uh, he's actually being bolder. Uh, and, but he's, uh, he's, uh, he's got a real gift for uh, radio and television. He's very photogenic and great smile and so on and so forth. And, and he's younger and, and so on. Well, he went back to New York and he started a satellite radio program called Busted Halo. And, he's, and he, was, he was on, well, you know, in other words, we're flawed people, but we, that's why we relate to flawed people. We're very bad with saints, but we're good with people who, like, you know, got lousy lives, you know, struggling and everything like that. So um, he's on Busted Halos and everything, three hours a night, five nights a week on the radio. He's talking, taking questions, and lots of people will call in who want to stay anonymous, but want to ask a question. And uh, and he takes it all on, he's quick, and he's funny, and he can talk. I'm not Dave Dwyer. I'm not jealous of Dave Dwyer. I'm Terry Ryan. I need to be me, not Dave Dwyer, but I can tell you. I would be resentful of him and wonder how he got that job. I could do that job better than he can. Why aren't they recognizing me and giving me the shot? Why am I stuck here in Boulder with these drunks? <laughs> so what if that is my first thought when I sit and meditate? I don't know, you let it go. You don't, you don't let it control you. You get on with it. So, um, uh, I just have to be me. So uh, there's times when I, I'll be with other alcoholics and I'll say, wow, hasn't she or he got great sobriety? I wish I had that. I'd be careful if I wish I had that. Let them be an example. But they're not the cookie cutter image. What I want is a quality of, of a living. But I might not do the same things they do. We're all different. I think creation is about differences. I think we're realizing that. We're different. We're not all, we said, we're all alcoholics, but we're all human beings with different gifts and different talents. So the way one person is of service might be different than the way another person is of service. So you can try things and see how they fit. Uh, you could be involved in uh, going into jails and prisons. And I've heard people talk about how when they first did it, they locked the, the gate behind them. It was freaky, but they got used to it. It was like tap dancing. You, you find out what works by trying it out and giving yourself a chance with the ongoing practice of the program. Uh, but you don't focus on negativity. Uh, if I am absorbed in my inadequacies, 
That's really false pride. I'm not as good as I should be. Where did I get that? Are you really born into the world with that? Somebody, you got that someplace, and you don't have to know exactly where it came from, uh, but you got it. And, and by the way, if you did know where it came from, you might have to practice forgiveness. I realized that. I was reading just something today. Uh, and just something today. It's amazing what happens when you have little, uh, when you do a little daily meditation, little reflections. And this guy, Louis Smedes is his name. When did he die? He died, uh, he died in this century, and he died putting up, uh, died at 81, but he was putting lights on a Christmas tree, and he fell down and died. Be careful when you're doing Christmas lighting, okay? <laughs> at least learn that from Louis Fettis. But he says uh, he was a pioneer in forgiveness research. He says, it's a necessity for getting on with one's life. If you wait for an apology for someone who hurt you, you leave your future in the hands of that person who injured you in the first place. You're a hostage to them. You don't forgive others so that they'll like you. What do you, what do you, you're not in charge of other people's feelings or responses. You're only in charge of your own action. When we have service, we're not in charge of the results. When I meditate, I'm not in charge of the results. That's not my job. My job is to do. The results are not up to me. And he says, you do it so you're not held hostage by them. That is, you want to be free. Uh, so I forgive others so that I don't have to keep being hostage to, to what they did to me, so I don't keep blaming them and getting angry and upset about them. So I forgive them for me. Uh, to be a better person, to be a little bit more happy and joyous and free. The actions we take will all, if they're good actions, they'll better us. If they better someone else, that's good. Uh, but we're not in charge of how they respond. So, face that we all have limitations. That's not the same as I am no good. So something that I might get in meditation is my first thought is, I'm no good. If you come out of practicing the 11th step and the 12th and the other steps, it's, I have limitations. But I am a good person. I just can't do everything. I'm never going to be Fred Astaire. I started too late at this stuff. I get to this, but that's not important. What I do it to be the best that Terry Ryan can be, enjoying tap dancing, which is actually quite good exercise. That's what, it, that's what I'm trying to do. So I don't focus, when I focus on my limitations, I give up. Uh, so I'm good enough. And so I don't always have to look at how little I am. We don't have to look at, I'm too little, I'm not enough. Uh, not enough for what? Uh, and the other kind of pride is looking at ourselves too much as being a big deal. Then we get angry when other people don't see us in our own vaulted self way. You don't see me as wonderful as I am. I'm gonna go someplace else where people think I'm wonderful. Uh, and, we, and we just cut ourselves off from a, a better life and of, and of being part of a bigger world because we won't be part of a world that we judge not liking us. We won't be part of a world in which what we did didn't have the success that we thought it was supposed to have. 
uh, whatever you do, it might help people some down the road. So you're of, you're of use to somebody in AA, for instance, and they don't get sober. I'm a failure. What did I do wrong? Uh, the results are not up to you. You don't know what seed you planted in someone. Uh, I remember the first time I went to an AA meeting. I admitted, actually, I admitted to a priest I was an alcoholic. He gave me the big book. And uh, he told me to go to certain meetings in which uh, high-class executives, police, judges. I, I, I mean, I learned later, I can go to any, I go to meeting with you people. I don't care. But uh, then it was, oh, well, you're a priest. You may not want everybody to know that you're an alcoholic. So he said, so I go to the meeting and I went to a couple of meetings. Anyway, somehow, I can't remember it all, but this guy comes up to me and uh, it's a Sunday afternoon. He's just dressed regular and he says, well, let's get together. So I said, sure. So he says, here's where I work. So I, I was in Houston, Texas at the time. And so uh, and we didn't have Google. And, you know, the paper map and the drums. And finally, it's downtown Houston, which has about three downtowns. But this was one of them with a tall building. One of the tall buildings. I go into the building, and what struck me was when I went to his office, he was a highfalutin executive in this big company with a corner office with all these windows and, you know, all these uh, uh, people to keep other people from getting to him. And I walk in and I said, uh, I'm Terry Ryan, I'm supposed to see. Oh yes, he's waiting for you. Boom, 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 through all these doors. And there he was, and he just sat and talked to me. This guy is very successful. What struck me is, well, that well, he's not like me. He doesn't have my problems. I'll never be like that. But I hadn't even gotten started with AA. Of course that's the way you're going to think. I wish he had met me in the Bowie or something like that. It would have been easier. But in any case, I remember that later that he was just like me. I mean, when I finally got a day and I reflected back on this, is he came from wherever he was as an alcoholic to where he is now, and it was not too big a deal to be of service. And I remember that. You're never too big a deal to be of service to anybody. And did he worry that I did, never came back? I went to three meetings, decided I wanted to start drinking again, and then had another five years of misery. Uh, but something was planted there that still, as I could tell the story, that is still working this day. So um, before we take a break, I'll do one other thing. And this is... Um, we work so hard at, at impression management. Impression management. Present me to impress you. Uh, I present me like a resume. I'm trying to get something. So present me as I want you to see. I imagine, and then I imagine what you want to see. Uh, you want to see a limitless me, which is an illusion. It's okay to have illusions about ourselves, to be superheroes, when you're on a treadmill or uh, an, uh, an elliptical uh, or something truly boring uh, to me. And then that's fine to have, you know, fantasies about yourself. You're just trying to get through the workout. But by and large, you got to recognize that's not me. And I find in meditation, somehow it gets through who and what I am. 
So not to create this limitless self, this illusion. And that's part of what I sometimes do. I imagine what you want me to see. So I've learned when I come into a, to a meeting, if somebody says, oh, you're a priest. Well, why don't you say to that person, you know, you're, a, you're an Uber driver. What's, you know, what's, what does it matter what I do? I, I'm over that now. You know, yeah, I'm a priest. What, what's it to you? I'm a New Yorker. What's it to you? Jimmy, no. Well, he's from New Jersey. It's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, New Jersey wannabes, wannabes, right? So, oh, oh no, I'm looking at myself. I, I'm full of me. Oh, it's all craziness. So, so I, 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 you know, I'm not a walking resume. I'm not trying to get something. I'm trying to get sober. So I just walk in with all this craziness in my mind, and I don't pay attention to it. All right? Otherwise, I'd never go to a meeting. I'd sit at home and I'd say, Will they like me in this meeting? Will I be acceptable? Will I be, will they think me wonderful? And then they say, oh, Father, you're so wonderful. They say, oh, no, no, I'm really not that good. I'm not that good. I'll whip myself. Ah, oh, we're all so sick. So, uh, but, you know, the idea, the big love, I go back to the other one. It's just we're all under repair and we keep working on it. But we have a lot of great treats. And some of you have to go to the bathroom. And uh, so we're going to take a break. And we haven't practiced yet, right? Oh, I got to, and not only going to take a break, I have instructions. <laughs> I forgot to welcome. How do you know I forgot? Already I'm judged, right? So you think, what's the first thought? I forgot. She's giving me stuff. Oh, now I'm a perfect priest. You're not going to like me now because I forgot, all right? So you just let that go. Anonymous, Al-Anon, Denver's Anonymous, and we want to welcome etc. Okay? <laughs> You're etc. You have, you have a sickness that's unidentified. So you're not as good at us because we know our sickness and we got 12 steps. You got nothing. You're a hopeless mess. So, but hang around with us because, uh, you know, we're better than you and maybe you could be like us someday. Okay, so, now we're going to take a break. Joyce, take this back, will you? I'm trying to make you people holy. Alright, let's take a break. I was trying to say, I forgot to follow <laughs> Okay, yep, we're back on. Good. My techie has got it together. All right, a little bit of segue to get your attention. We'll start out with the word chastity. Uh, just the segue to get you, you know, back into the room, so to speak. Uh, or, or say, why didn't I leave with the others? You know, so... Uh, the word often makes us think about sex. If you're Catholic, it makes you think about only about sex. So, but it's got a whole nother meaning. 
See, this is the kind of stuff that comes when I think we get into a deep, when we get onto a spiritual path, we are on a deeper journey. It's really about right relationships. Right, a relationship that is without judgment. That is, I'm not judging me, and I'm not judging you, and you're not judging me. In other words, it's a non-judgmental relationship. It's a relationship of acceptance of, uh, say, two persons uh, who know of our own limitations and of the limitations of the other, but we decide to be in the relationship anyway, given those limitations. And uh, with that, and I think it, you get the sense that that can be deepen a love relationship with one another. It's not about perfection, but about acceptance. And then people will begin, when we're loved, and loved in a way that is accepted, selflessly loved, which I think is what I get in my meditation, we're going to get into that, is they begin to mirror who we truly are, the goodness of ourselves with our humanness, our limitations. They reflect what's often called our truer self, not the resume self that we make up. And, and it allows us then to have their, their it allows us to have a self-acceptance. That is, our opinion of ourselves is I accept myself in my shortcomings. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. And when I can get into self-acceptance, now this can lead to, I don't have to be so busy proving myself. Self-acceptance allows us to be less busy, because a lot of our busyness is out of fear. A lot of our busyness is out of doing to get you to like me. Look at all the things I do. And I think of uh, Henry David Thoreau, Walden Pond. Uh, which is, is his famous writing. Henry David Thoreau goes and lives out someplace in Massachusetts near a lake, and uh, people think he's kind of strange because he's not busy. He says, I, I am, he accepts himself, and he wonders why people do the things that they do, the busyness of their lives, and he reflects on it, but he says, I don't have to do what they do. He says, I do enough to make a living. Uh, and, uh, he was a surveyor of land and such. He did some of that because he wrote a little, but he wasn't very successful. His best stuff got printed after he died. He died at 47, I think. Uh, but he wasn't so busy. And this gave him more time to reflect. And it'll give us more time to practice step 11, to say, I'm too busy for step 11. I said, well, you're too busy to get drunk and miss a day's work, uh, or you know, lose your car or whatever. I said, so that's just a cover-up. Uh, and a lot of our busyness is not, is because I want to, I want to be better so you'll like me, uh, or accept me. So we have more time to meditate. So I know that if I take time out to meditate each day, something else is not going to happen. Uh, but I know if I don't do this step 11, some other things are not going to happen that really do need to happen, like staying sober, not try. You can go without drinking, but that doesn't make you sober. Uh, so 
this then becomes a bridge. Not being so busy can become, getting into self-acceptance, being with someone who accepts us as we are. This gets us into a bridge. We're moving from acceptance, which is what I've been, I think, trying to say the whole first time here with uh, uh, however I did it, that we get into self-acceptance. And we, and that will lead to some acceptance of other, but the self-acceptance allows us to be a little more comfortable in our own skin so we can be with ourselves uh, alone but not lonely. We can be in solitude, which is different from isolation. All of us know what isolation is. It's in the meeting you feel isolated. And you can sit on a rock in a park and feel solitude. Both cases, you're not with anybody, but it's the way you are with yourself. So acceptance allows us to be with ourselves, and then we can practice this uh, letting go of our thoughts. I call it meditation, and there's various ways to do it. So that leads to the more contemplative life. The, the sort of leads to a place where we can just be without sometimes even noticing our thoughts. And then that leads to transformation. And transformation means we become all that we can be, all that we're called to be as unique individuals and being of service as part of this because we are of service the way we truly are. Uh, and so, moving now into, well, what is this sort of meditation, this mystical life, if you will, and it's really the unmediated experience of the divine, or if you want to call it the higher power. power. It's unmediated. You don't get it from a book. You don't get it from listening to somebody else talking about it. It's unmediated. There's nothing between you and it. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship that grows in intimacy such that you can sometimes be so present to this uh, interior relationship that you're not even aware of time passing. I'll give you an example. I was just talking to someone about this. Say, for instance, you really do have a little trouble sitting quietly for 20 minutes, but you don't have any particular trouble taking a walk in a nice park, of which Boulder has many or a trail, safe, some safe place, uh, you know, free of cougars, all right? So, so you have to work on fear issues, right? So, in any case, you, you find that when you're walking, you feel comfortable, you're, you're less focused on worries and fears and things. I can a little bit more comfortable in my skin. So I said, okay, if you're walking, what's the purpose of the walk? Don't make the purpose of the walk to get from A to B. That's exercise. Uh, and meditation is not exercise, if you will. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of becoming a comfortable in an interior relationship with a power, okay? That's always with us. So, you take a walk. And as you're walking at whatever pace, what you put it aside is time. I'm going to walk for a half hour or 40 minutes, and, and I'm not doing it to lose weight. Not this particular walk. I'm walking, and this is my meditation. So I said, okay, you're walking, and you notice a flower. 
uh, we'll say this time of year, when it's snowing outside or something, and so all of a sudden you see a flower and it grabs you. Now you might have taken that walk yesterday, and that flower might have been there. You didn't see it. In part because, oh, maybe you're in your head with your thoughts and worries and fears, but today you notice it. So I said, it attracts you. Stop and sit on something or stare or just be and look at that flower. Not with a sense of uh, something happening. In other words, you're not trying to make something happen. This is an invitation, I call it an invitation to be still and know that I am. The I am, whatever that I am is or whatever it is. Just be still. And so he said, okay, well, I'm going to be still looking at the flower. Please don't me to do this. So I'll come staring at the flower. And uh, I'm sitting. And then, uh, say you had a little uh, timer, like your, your uh, cell phone, to bing or to gong, so that you know that your time is up, that you're going to take this walk. And all of a sudden, you hear that gong. And you look up and you say, what happened? I didn't even notice I was, I was looking at the flower and then nothing. That's the contemplative moment. And you cannot make yourself become a contemplative. It's a gift. And that's why I know there is a power. Because that's what gave you the gift. You can make yourself practice meditation. Uh, by a pose, uh, a sitting, a method, but you cannot make yourself contemplative. That is, those moments when you are totally unaware of time passing. Well, what happened? Well, that's the experience. Beyond experience is what it's sometimes called. Did your ears stop listening? No. Did you stop smelling the forest? No. Did you stop seeing the flower? No, your eyes are looking. You're taken to a depth in which you are unaware of the facul those faculties, as they call them, at work. Now, when I meditate, I tend to close my eyes. Buddhists meditate with their eyes open. It really doesn't matter. You find a way that works. You're trying to get beyond the awareness of surface things, like seeing, hearing, and smelling. You can be aware of a train whistle, but you don't pay attention to it. And the contemplative moment or moments is when the train whistle is happening and you don't hear it. You're not aware of hearing it. Your ears are hearing, you're taken to a depth. So that's um, the unmediated experience of the divine. Uh, so, what we have to do, what I suggest we might do is, and this is what those 12 steps are about, is it begins to loosen false self bad behaviors. False self is who I think you think I am, or I think I'm who I ought to be so you'll like me. And you begin to loosen those things, which is what, what's the steps I think are trying to do. Uh, trying to get us to let go of Stuff. In other words, we know from uh, the prayer of step three and step seven that in, well, I'm offering you all of me, good and bad. In other words, we begin to say, and these are words, this is not meditation. We're taught in the steps, the earlier steps, how to talk. 
which are words, word prayers. Word prayers are good. They're starters. Uh, you know, it's like learning how to do the shuffle step. It's a starter. But it's not dancing. Uh, well, it is, sort of, but uh, pretty minimal. So these are starter prayers. It's like kindling. You want to become fire and light. You start out with kindling. Kindling gets it going. And that's what, the, that's what a lot of these verbal prayers, they're all kindling. Any kind of prayer is kindling. Sitting down and uh, doing your practice, doing your yoga pose, it's all kindling. It's those moments when you get to some place that you all of a sudden you say, wow, that was pretty good, whatever that was. Uh, you're making this, that means there is a place in you that I think we were trying to get to through drinking. Drinking is an attempt at a spiritual experience uh, that didn't work. And we're trying to escape something and have something uh, and so on and so forth. We know some of this from early on times of drinking when it was fun and you feel better and so on and so forth. So, but this is a deep experience. So we're trying to get rid of this false self behaviors we're aware of, of shortcomings, but we don't act them out. In other words, I'm aware that I think I'm a self-centered person. I'm a fear-based person. Well, you're aware of it, so you're, you're catching it. What will happen during the day is you won't stop being a fear-based person because of this meditation. You'll stop acting fearfully. You'll be aware of fears, the energy of fears, but you won't act out that energy. The energy will not control your response to a situation in the world. But you may be aware of fears. But you'll act in a different fashion. So we begin to loosen this false self bad behaviors. We're going to be alcoholics, but we don't act alcoholically. And then what takes their place is not the bad habits are replaced by good habits. They're called virtues. That's the nature of virtue, it's a good habit. It's what you begin to do with a little bit more ease. At first, it's a great effort. Uh, and at some days, it's a great effort, but many days, it becomes a little bit easier. I hear people say, I enjoy going to meetings now. And uh, I, you know, I ask them, did you always enjoy going to meetings? No, I didn't like going to meetings, I was desperate. And then I got less desperate, and I stopped going to meetings, and then I got more desperate, and I decided I better go back, and now I like it, because I stayed at it, and I actually did what they told me to do. I got into a practice of uh, working the steps, sponsored with all the stuff that we hear of. Um, so we develop good habits, and a habit is something you do on a regular basis. Uh, so, uh, and meditation helps us to keep with this, I think. So the, you have an energy that develops in you for good behavior that be, moves towards love and away from fear. So fear has less energy many times and caring, connecting with others, and even learning to be of use to people that you say, in your first door, your first minute is they're not like me, uh, I don't like this person, and so on and so forth. You learn to be aware of it, 
particularly care for a person, but that doesn't control your response to them. I mean, you're, you're, some people may actually be difficult people. And uh, so you're not delusional about it, but you don't act. You say, okay, you're bad, I'm going to be bad to you. Quid pro quo. So um, you, you have an energy for this behavior, and then you become more connected. It's called unity. We move from isolation, we move from separateness, we move from discomfort with myself, discomfort in crowds, in, uh, with other people, at parties, and social events, sober, and we move into where we feel a certain ease. And, and as we make the transition, we, we walk in with a certain dis-ease. How do I look? Uh, you move from where you get up in the morning, and uh, uh, before you do any toy of the trees, you look at yourself in the mirror. And, uh, okay, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, oh, you're, you're on the way out. You're on the way out. <laughs> Nobody could like this face. Uh, you, you need triage. You, you're desperate for triage. So, uh, and then you do what you can do. And some people don't, but you might do what you can do. And, and, but it's an attitude of how am I going to be seen? I don't want you to see the real me. Well, somebody who actually loves you sees the real you and says you're okay. That you're lovable, not because of how you look, but the very being of yourself. And, and we be, so we begin to, we might look at somebody and say, oh, you know, that, that person doesn't own a comb. Doesn't own a comb, never combs their hair, uh, and, or why? You know, I, I walk in, I should have been a hairdresser, I think, you know. <laughs> I just, I, I do this, and especially when you're in church and you're up in a pulpit and you're preaching, and I'm supposed to be, you know, thinking about Jesus and God and how to help you be holy. And I look at it and I say, that hairstyle on that woman does not work. Does not work. It just doesn't go. I gotta talk to her. <laughs> so I have this good friend, uh, and uh, Mary. She's uh, in the program, and so she she uh, when I first met her in, in the in the meeting, she had long hair. I thought she I thought it fit her face. It really looked good. Then she got her hair cut real short, and I'm thinking to myself, it doesn't work. But I couldn't tell her that. <laughs> Can't tell that. I mean, friendship's over, you know. <laughs> well, one day she said, "I'm going to start growing my hair long again." I think she wants to go back to school, and uh, so she started. And so after she started to grow a little, I finally gave her something. You know, I think you look better with longer hair. And then she said, "Oh, thank you very much." She said, "Yeah, you know when to do things. That's moving from bad behavior to God. That's, uh, you look terrible. I'm bad behavior." Uh, that leads to a lot of isolation. Uh, to, you know, good behavior, you know, you just know. Any case, so, wait, wait, how did you get on that? So, uh, <laughs> unity, you want to be more unity. You gotta stop judging people. Uh, you feel a sense of connectedness, and you let all the craziness in your mind just go. Um, but, the important thing is, you don't focus on this unitive demand. You don't focus on being one with everybody. Uh, because you don't know how they're going to respond. What you, re what you do is you work on what you can work at. The steps tell you to work on what you can work at. 
So step 11 is working on your meditation, not somebody else's meditation. Uh, so, uh, and, and let it just come. We're so controlling uh, that we want to, okay, I'm going to meditate because I want to get this and I want to get it now. Uh, now, I walked into a room, I'm meditating, I walked into a room, I don't feel comfortable. Okay, that's your first thought. Now sit there and be. How many times do I, that happens and I sit there and then somebody says something in the meeting, I said, that's just what I needed to hear. Wow, I'm so glad I didn't leave. And so I, I started to say one thing before. My sponsor told me to either go early and talk to somebody, or if you don't get there early enough, stay afterwards and talk to somebody. And don't worry about what you say. You are not in a job interview. You're not trying to get this person to hire you or to like you. You're trying to walk out without feeling lonely, isolated, uh, or any kind of thing that will make you start going downhill. And I have, it always works. It always works if I just stop worrying. You know, and so I say, oh, hi. That was a good meeting, huh? I wouldn't say, you know your hand doesn't work, lady. I wouldn't say that, you know, come on. So you just learn what to, you just say something that's, you know, benign or whatever, or maybe something that helps. Or somebody says, I, they had 30 years. I won't go into them and say, congratulations. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not even asking, like, how did you do that? Uh, you don't know, but you're just trying to stay connected. If I walk in and there's greeters, I say hello to them. Help them to do their job. And it might help me to feel better when I get in the room. That's why they're greeters. And uh, I, <clears throat> I say hello and I say my name. I'm Terry, I'm, you know, I'm an alcoholic, and so on and so forth. And, and it moves on. If you have a whole group, you really get to practice this stuff. Uh, you get to practice how, whether you're judging other people who you see each week, you get to practice uh, whether you think somebody likes you or doesn't like you, uh, and, you know, and, and all the crazy thoughts that come in. You know, somebody comes in and they're dressed a certain way one meeting, and then they come in the next week and they're all fixed up, and you start thinking, wonder where they're going. That, they, I bet they're going to a really good event, and then how come now I'm not invited? What's the event? You know? You just, and you see this stuff going on in your head. It's, And this morning, okay, here's one. This morning, so I'm going out to come here. And it's what, 28 degrees, got all my overcoats, my scarf, everything that got my my uh, seat warmer on in my car. Don't buy a car that doesn't have a seat warmer. It's, uh, only seat warmer cars now, you know. So, any case, and there's a, there's a young uh, lady standing on the corner, jogging shorts. Nothing on her legs. What's my first thought? She's crazy. She's crazy. Why is she? Why do I say she's crazy? Because I can't go out in shorts and run. It's all. It's really about me and my my inability to go out in shorts and run. I'd have to wear at least one pair of legs, if not two. Uh, so I already made a judgment about she must be crazy because. Nobody should be doing that. But everything is, I can't do it. And as I drove us, ah, let go of that thought. It's all about you. 
but you won't deal with it, so you push it on her. Unity comes. You say, isn't that wonderful that uh, somebody can jog like that? And so, so they won't have a big laundry to do at the end of the just little shorts. I you know, they don't have to go to the running store and spend hundreds of dollars to get little shorts on. That's it. So, you know, you get away from all that stuff. It's unity. You make connections with people who are not like you. This comes with this unmediated experience of this center in yourself. But you don't focus on union. You let it come. You let it come. So, the meditation, deeper meditation, is moving from what you do. You know, in the beginning, you sit down, you have your practice, or you take your walk, or you, your yoga, or whatever it is. You've got your methodology to get sort of this inner center. We move from what we do, which prayer. Those are the prayers in the books. We say the prayer. That's what I do. I don't know what my heart power is doing. That's what I do. And it moves the prayers as what is being done by, by God or the higher power. It's what, deep meditation is what's being done to me. All you're, you're just aware of time passing. Or you're aware of a peacefulness that's going on in you. Or you might even be aware of boredom or distraction. But it's all at work. That's not deep meditation, but it's, but it's, it's still transforming you by the very practice. In other words, there's no mistakes. Somebody says there's no bad meetings, it's just bad attitudes. So there's no mistakes in the attempt to practice step 11, because you're not in charge of the results, in charge of the effort. And so it, it's what being done to you. So those deep moments that I mentioned where you're just not even aware of time, where you're aware of the peacefulness, it's, it's something working on you. You need to make that happen. What you make happen is your method. So it's not an achiever mentality. People say, I stopped doing something because uh, uh, it wasn't working. Well, you probe what that is, and they had some goal that they wanted, and they didn't get the goal that they wanted. Uh, and uh, um, what we want is, is so people say, well, I'm meditating, but I don't know if it's really working. I said, is your life better now than it used to be? Oh, yeah. Then it's working. All right? It's at work. But we don't do the achieving. We do the, the effort at the step, effort at the practice. Uh, you know, you don't achieve a friendship by going to someone and telling them you're sorry for what you did. But you become a better person. If your goal is to make them like you, uh, then it's just not going to work because some people aren't going to like you. So we are trying to become all that God has made us to be, or all that we're supposed to be, uh, our best self. It will never be all, but we're moving in that direction. Whether somebody else forgives me or not, well, I can't make that happen. I need to be forgiven, as I said earlier, to make me a better person. i got to let go of uh, all the stuff that I think was done to me, it was actually done to me, so I become a better person, not to wait around and say, they don't deserve it any forgiveness. Well, you don't deserve to be a hostage to your hate, your angers, your hurts, uh, and uh, you'll never forget. 
but it doesn't have to control you. And I think that's why we, we work towards forgiveness. And if we can't forgive, keep it meditation. Let it come. Let it come. So this more contemplative practice is something you allow, you let happen. It's one of the steps that you let happen. All the others seem like, I'm doing so much work. Uh, and But this is the one where the only work is to do the method. Uh, so my only work, the way I do my only work is to, to hit my little uh, cell phone for uh, 25 minutes or 20 minutes or a half hour or whatever it's going to be. And, and uh, do my method and just sit there. I mean, in some ways it's the easiest step because I'm not in charge of the results. I'm not in charge of what happens. I'm just in charge of putting aside the time. Uh, so it's a lot less work than doing four or five, uh, and it doesn't seem to have an attitude towards it. You know, step three is, is uh, we have the, I am part of the home group on Friday night, thank you very much, Joyce. <laughs> so, I don't know what you have to do to be part of a home group, you keep going, you should be part. So, in any case, uh, let go of that percent, and I'll work on it. Oh, I'm meditating, let go of that percent, my choice. Okay, so. You're just trying to let it be with three. You're, you're talking about, I offer myself to you. Do with me as you want. It sounds like oh, there's going to be work here. Whereas meditation is just being. And then you'll be able to practice three a lot better. You'll be able to practice seven a lot better. You'll be able to practice six a lot better. Uh, because you're saying, I'm asking for willingness. And how am I going to get willingness? I suggest that 11 and this deeper connection, willingness will come. You can't sort of make willingness happen. Uh, we'll turn this over. But the, the, you're under repair, but you're not repairing yourself. You're being repaired. Uh, so you, these steps are going to become a little bit uh, more uh, easier if uh, you work on step 11. So... And all these little prayers, and every step seems to have prayers, they're the kindling. They're the kindling for becoming fire. Uh, and, and, uh, and light, and strength for others. And so, um, this mystical way of being, and religions often talk about mystical, mystical Christianity, mystical Judaism, uh, is, is it's kind of a in inner emptiness, if you will, where you make space, just in, an inner emptiness. In other words, you stop filling yourself up with your focus on your thoughts. And you let some space develop. Those thoughts sort of move to the periphery of your mind. You're aware of them, but they're kind of around the edges. And now you make space to be hospitable to the higher power, if you will, or by God. Uh, you make space to be hospitable to the higher power. So this is an inner emptiness. Uh, that's a lot different than what's in it for me. Because you don't know, this is a, 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 a letting be, a making of space, and now I'm just going to be with it. Uh, it says, what's in it for me? What's in it for you may not be right now, 
And even if you have a good feeling today, or a good moment today, that's fine. But don't say that's the way it's going to be tomorrow. You don't know. See, it's relational. When you're doing a physical exercise, I, 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 I've been a jogger all my life. Uh, and of course, when I start out jogging, uh, if I haven't been jogging very much, it's, I don't do very much, it's slow, it's painful, and, uh, well, a little painful. Um, so, and then every while it gets easier. But it's all my effort. It's my doing. And we tend to think of prayer the same way. I'll think of my tap dancing. It's all going to be my doing, you see. And no higher power involved in this, I say to myself. But it is in, in a certain attitudinal way. But in this deeper um, uh, contemplative moment, is uh, I'm being worked on by making this space. I'm being worked on. So uh, I let it, I let it happen, and then the results will be how I live in the day. Uh, so it's not an, it's not always an immediate thing. So I never judge today's prayer the way tomorrow's supposed to be or the way my day's supposed to be. I just know that over, ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. Um, some people will say I have so much time in the program. Uh, and there's time, and then there's effort and work. Uh, and I think we we uh, we have to make the effort and the work over that course of time, uh, so that we will be the best that we can be. And I think that that step eleven is very important in that. I think uh, so. Um, we can use the imagination, such as taking the walk and looking around and, and, and looking at the mountains. That's the use of the imagination. Uh, and if something grabs you, I said, just be with that. That's when that power is, is said, okay, you've done enough. I'm going to begin to take over this time that you're out for your walk. I'm going to take over this time that you're sitting here. Uh, I'm going to take over in your uh, pose that you're doing in uh, your yoga. Uh, so you're gazing, if you will, uh, with the imagination, and then this deeper period is when you're being gazed at as your truest, most beautiful self. And you may not always be aware of it, but you'll be aware of it enough in the way you are with other people, in the way you no longer let yourself uh, be controlled by what somebody says, or what somebody thinks, or what you think they're thinking, and so on and so forth. And this all can lead to um, this deeper contemplative moment. And so you may ask, is this kind of, is step 11 really working? And I would say, the way to answer that is not, do you feel better, or do you feel whatever you think is supposed to feel from, from some book you read, uh, but I say, well, are you having positive effects on the people around you? Uh, I, I had uh, a problem with this particular uh, clergy person because he was so different from me. Uh, and because uh, that was bad, right? 
Because if he's different from me, possibly I'm a problem and he's a solution or something. In any case, he was different than I am, very different in his attitude, his, his uh, way, his manner. I'm uh, a little bit more humanistic or something with liberal. And he was more traditional, more conservative, let's say. And I have problems with that. And, and, and uh, I think it affected our relationship, I know it affected our relationship. Uh, and at some point, the light went on, probably from the program, that uh, I can't do anything about him. We all know this. I can only work on me. And what went on is maybe he's not the problem. Maybe my attitude is the problem. He just is who he is. Let him be, because he's ministering to kinds of people how we never get to. Uh, I told him I'm going to go out this morning and talk to a bunch of drunks who don't believe in God. He said, Pray for me. <laughs> so, um, and we're doing better now. He hasn't changed in, in a sense of who he is and the way he is, but I, he's a little bit better around me. Because I decided that I needed to get changed. And I wasn't going to change myself. I needed to put this, as we say, into God's hands. And make sure I'm doing my steps, including my meditations, but working my steps, my side of the street. And just let it be and say, not everybody's supposed to be like me. I told the story, I'm not like Dave Dwyer, and this guy's not like me. I don't have to be like him. You don't have to be like anybody. You have to be yourself. Uh, you were made to be you. Uh, so, am I having a positive effect on people around me? That is, are things, are relationships going better? And you know, sometimes it's not, but it's not because there's something the matter with you. They are, they are very sick. Uh, they're uh, drinking and they won't stop. It's not your job to make them stop, but it is your job to be available and to be revealing what it is to be sober. So a, a heresy, if you will, in, in uh, step 11, is the goal of the contemplative life is to generate a private spiritual buzz. That is not the goal. Now, I, wouldn't, I do think that there's probably books that you read in which you somehow pick up this idea that they had a great private uh, spiritual buzz, and you want that. Uh, well, that's... I, I've been there, and I've said, you know, I don't think that's what this program is about. I don't think what being all I'm supposed to be is about. It's, it would be nice, but now it's a preference. What we move to is preferences from what we must have. It must be this way to, I, this is my preference, but I may not get my preference. I would prefer to have a good experience in my half hour, but I may not have a good experience. Uh... So I don't say, I need a spiritual buzz. It's going to be what it is. How am I the rest of my day? Uh, pleasant feelings are not necessarily the goal. Because sometimes I will not have pleasant feelings. I will have something else. But you know, what, what it is, is we have a, this another idea um, that I think comes out of this contemplative practice that you might not be aware of. 
See, why are our lives getting better? Because we're practicing step 11, but don't always feel wonderful about what we're doing. Because uh, it's, uh, Thomas Keating talks about this. It's as if we have the conscious self up here. And that's what we're aware of. But there's a lot of junk down here. Uh, past hurts, uh, stuff, you know, that we're, we're not specifically aware of, but it has a lot of energy. It's in, oh, some people call it the unconscious. Just, it's down, it's in us someplace. We're not always aware of it, but we're aware of negativity when it kind of gets up here. When we practice a deeper meditation, a lot of this stuff just gets released. Uh, and it loses energy. Some of it comes up and stays in our unconscious, and we become aware of it. So, um, I talked about the uh, pre-setting and long term. That was where some stuff came up. The issues of whether uh, my insecurities about my kind of being a priest uh, is... Uh, well, it's very different from a lot of the priests around here. So there's, uh, I gotta say, oh, am I right? That may come up and it's, ah, that's my stuff, that's my stuff. Some other opinion, just let it go. God loves me. Just be your best self you can be, even if you, you know, when you say, I'm odd, uh, you, that means not that you're wrong, just that you might actually be different from the people around you. And that can be a good thing. Uh, just be you, and, and don't worry about that. So, um, pleasant feelings are not always what's going to happen. Something may come up that I'll have to look at, only so that I can deal with it, that it loses its power. Which is why we have meditation, and why we have other people to talk to. You can talk to a sponsor, or you can talk to some friend in a meeting. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I like to be in a place where I can say, and it, it's, it's one of the things I, I like about AA. I go into a meeting, yeah, I thought of killing myself uh, twice. And I like to be someplace where someone else says, I think about killing myself. It's not that I like them to want to think about killing myself. I don't. I, I, but I said, I'm where I belong. Nobody talks about this. I don't go to the church and say, I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ. Uh, I thought about killing myself, but first I thought, I thought I'd tell you that. Let's talk about me. It's all about me. But I just like being in a place where no matter what I thought was a crazy thought or feeling or scary, I'm in the place where other people think that. It's hard to be in rooms filled with people who thought about killing themselves and didn't and are trying to become better people. Now, Many of you didn't think about this, so I may be sicker than you, but that's all right. There's a few that are like me, and that's all I really need. It's so comfortable to be where someone says something, they're telling my story. And we're okay. And we can talk about these things. So if something pops up, there's probably somebody, especially in your, uh, somebody you see frequently in meetings or in a home group that you can talk to about this. And, uh, and just bring it up, you never know how um, it might help them. It just might help them. It helps, and if they can be a little bit helpful to you, that'll help get them out of themselves. So, uh, I just don't think we lose very much by bringing up just whatever comes up. 
and maybe it is in, in the consciousness so we can bring it to a meeting or to a sponsor or somebody uh, that you can continue to reveal who you are. Uh, and it's amazing to me, another thing, and I think it comes out of the contemplative practice because it makes us this unitive kind of person. I don't have a very good memory, I really don't. Uh, that's why I have trouble with tap dancing. But, uh, I, it's amazing what happens. You go to a meeting, you sit there, and someone says, I have uh, six or seven days. And you clap a little. And somehow, you remember that person is moving, trying to move towards 90. And uh, so next week, you go to the meeting, uh, and uh, then you see that same person. And I remember saying this this uh, young lady, and most people in meetings are young to me. So I go to a meeting and uh, I say, get closer to 90. She turns and says, oh, thank you. In other words, I just made her a person who has something in her life. I don't know what she does for a living uh, and so on and so forth. But I remembered something that she said the week before, and which is rare for me. And so I mentioned it to her. And she, that, and you just don't know how helpful you are to somebody by bringing up what you think is maybe a nothing. And even if she said, huh, because I'm meditating and I didn't take that personally, I didn't put her on the top of my resentment. The choice is there. I didn't put her on top of my resentment. I didn't put her on my resentment list at all. I just said, okay, she's not having a good day, it's not my problem. Uh, I did the best I could. That's all we do, the best we can. So, um, just let it be. So, feeling, a, a feeling in this meditation, a sort of feeling close to God, people say. I want to feel close to God. I said, well, you know, that's not your job. <laughs> God, God's got a job too, and it uh, made me feeling close is not what God wants now. To listen to a believer. I said, maybe God's got to work you over a little bit. You got to see if you're going to keep at it. So feeling close to God is not the same as being close to God. When you're being close to the higher power in a deeper relationship, you act better around people. How many times I, I, uh, I go, I, I see people in, in, in my tradition, and they, they uh, we have daily, we have daily worship services, not just you know weekly. So. Um, uh, they go all the time. They go to what we call mass all the time, all the time. But they don't have our program. And they don't have a way of dealing with their faults and failings. What they have is confession, where they go and they say, I gossiped. They come back a week later, I gossiped. But well, we have a program for gossip. They don't. They think by saying they're sorry, they're going to get better. By wanting to get better, they're going to get better. That's like saying, I want to stop drinking, but I'm otherwise going to do nothing about it. I want to stop drinking. I'm going to go over and have a drink and think about it. You know, that's, and you say, that's insane. So you've got to have a program because the will is under repair. I will to stop talking about somebody else. Uh, and you see a group of people talking, you go up to them, and of course, you want to make sure they're not talking about you, right? So you want to be part of the group. So we'll talk about somebody else. And that's addiction. That's addiction. That's over and over the bad habits. So uh, being close to God. I, say, I feel close to God. I say, yeah, well, good. But your life hasn't changed. 
So when we're close to God, if you will, uh, we'll know that by the results in our daily life. Um, so the, uh, this contemplation and action go together. Think of it as like breathing. We have to inhale to exhale. We inhale the 11th step and we exhale action. Okay? They go together. 11 and 12 go together. And then that allows us to go back and practice all these other steps. And we practice not as perfect people. In my tradition, uh, Jesus sent his disciples out when they were very imperfect people. They were cowards, they were fear-based, they were egocentric, and he sent them out and told them to take the good news. So don't wait around till you're perfect, or till you're whatever you think you need to be. We just work at it on a daily basis. Um, day by day, you start small. You say hello to somebody at a meeting. You, thank, you say goodbye to somebody afterwards. You thank somebody for something they said. That's it. You don't have to be brilliant. Uh, and little by little, it'll work. Uh, because we've got a, a lifetime of feeling not enough. Uh, and uh, meetings are where we get to practice being lovable, good people. At least in your thoughts of yourself. So, um, what you, I think what you do, another way of looking at this, is a, a result of this deeper contemplative practice, this one-on-one, -on -one unmediated uh, experience with this energy, this force, this power that is really within us. Uh, look at it as a, a makeover. Oh, I go back to the hair stuff, okay, makeover. <laughs> it's the way we see. So, um, I remember, uh, well, I can't, can't think of the movie. It'll come to me tonight. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you, you see somebody and you see something in them that's beautiful and you try to bring it out. They say Michelangelo, for instance, would look at a piece of marble a brick of marble, and he would see uh, the sculpture he did of David, which you can see in Florence. He could see that. All the rest of us see is a block of marble. And that's the way we begin to see people, not in our old way, or maybe as they might see themselves, but we see something beautiful within them. So it's like doing a makeover. You may initially, your first thought is you see a weakness in somebody, but you, the way you are with them begins to bring out a strength. Uh, I think uh, Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita talked about this. You just, you somehow, within this, uh, what everybody else might call a mess, uh, you see something beautiful, you see the possibilities. And I think from contemplative practice, we begin to see the possibilities in other people, even before they see it. So someone may say something about themselves that they think is very bad, because you only get two minutes in my 
home group meeting. You know, you can't say very much. So, and uh, but you say what you can say, and uh, and so they say something, and you can go up after them and say any number of things that would somehow make them. Thank you for saying that. That really helped me. Why? I just talked about uh, killing myself. That really helped me. This is something that's common with us. Because a new person doesn't know that. They think they're the only one in the room that thinks about killing themselves. And they're only there out of desperation. Uh, or to avoid jail or whatever. Uh, so you can, you see possibilities in them. Because you say everybody in this room has the possibility of sobriety. Be clean. Uh, being free of, uh, of food addictions and so on and so forth. Uh, you see the possibilities in them, and by the way you are with them, because you've learned something of the unitive dimension through contemplative prayer, it carries over into a unitive dimension with all, because it's not your private higher power, it's a power within you, and it's a power in everybody else in that room, and it's a power that's throughout this world, and when you become fire, you realize that. Uh, and so, uh, everyone, if you will, is shining like the sun inside themselves somewhere. And uh, you help them by being this better person, this step 12 person that came from 11. And the false self, the self-centered self, is all about me looking better. Uh, how do I look better? Um, and that's all about I gaze myself I'm, uh, I look at all my faults and feelings how am I going to look better to you so you don't know what a terrible person I am or how badly I feel about myself or I want you to love me but I know I'm a mess or whatever it gets crazy um, and so it's not about making me look better it's about being helpful to you and as we We'll, we'll get a sense of feeling okay in our own skin because we practice being in solitude each day uh, in this practice of, of step 11. So we don't have self-content. When you're self-content, you don't see anything in others. You just crawl inside yourself. And uh, one of the ways that you know that your false self is at work, that you're not really an outreach to other people, is um, the way you bring the conversation around to yourself all the time. I have a friend that does this. No matter what you bring up, he's very well read. Very well read in politics, economics, government. And someone will make a comment, just in conversation over coffee, and he'll start talking about it. And then he'll start talking about himself in relation to it. And then he'll just keep on talking. And... Uh, the, the way that the signal that he's gone way, way out there is when he stops, they change the subject. That's how, that's how you'll know that, you, that you've said too much. They change the subject. They're not that interested in all you know. Uh, but you wanted them to know what you know for whatever reason. Uh, and that may not be what they want. So uh, that's one of the ways you'll know. You bring all the conversation around to yourself. So, you know, there's a big term called kenosis, which is self-empty. I think that's very rare. 
uh, it's very hard to self-empty, to surrender, that is. Uh, but most of us get emptied. We get emptied of friends, health, career, jobs, home, and all our self-created roles. We get emptied, and so we have kind of a poverty of self. Uh, and that can bring us into, into this program. And one of the words, another word that I think comes up and that we can begin to get from this meditative practice is like chastity, obedience. We hate obedience. We don't like obedience. Because a lot of us have suffered from obedience. We were obedience. We got hurt. A lot of us surrender. We got hurt by surrender. So unless you're on, the, on, the, on the, this path, these steps, and knowing how to be, knowing how to have, be safe, without being self-centered. Uh, we, the, we need these steps. But obedience is ab audere. This is my Latin. Jimmy, did you get Latin in your schools in Jersey? <laughs> the Jesuits have taught us Latin. We had to learn Latin in our Catholic schools. Okay. I'm trying to get to one more. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is how you make people know you're smart. <laughs> you talk Latin to you, I see. Out of it. Don't worry, I read this. I, I didn't you know, figure this out myself. Um, it means to listen or to hear. I said, I thought it meant to do what somebody told me, uh, which is why I don't like it. Institutional organizations. Uh, my church, um, in its worst aspects, see obedience as a top-down thing, because institutional organizations are top-down, they're hierarchical. President, vice president, all the way down to, you know, whatever, mailroom. So, uh, the top wants you to obey, do what they say. That's how they are functional. But it never makes you the best that you can be. It might make you the richest you can be, but not the best person you can be. And I'm sure we all, many of us have read about rich people who are not very nice. Okay, So being rich doesn't make you all that you are capable of being. So when you look at it as ab outere, to listen or to hear, it's a horizontal relationship. Uh, it's not a vertical relationship. It's not about power, one person's power over the other. It's about the higher power. And when that power is at work, we become more unitive. We become uh, more one. Because now what you're learning to do is to listen to another person. To actually hear what they're trying to say, which is a lot different than when somebody starts talking about something, and you immediately are thinking about the answer. You're not listening to them anymore. Oh, this is step four. This they have to be on step four. I'll wait till they finish. Step four. <laughs> That's not relational. All right, it's not relational. Uh, it may be what they need to hear, but it's not relational. You just have to decide: Are you going to be what? Um, so it's a more of a, step four is a top down. You do step four, like I'm telling you, and you'll be better. You don't do step four, you're going out, you're going to drink and die. It's up to you. <laughs> Maybe your sponsor can do that, but uh, I, I, I'm not recommending it. 
How do we hear? We limit distractions. What do we practice in meditation? Not paying attention to our thoughts. What do you practice in listening to another? Not paying attention to your thoughts. Your thoughts are trying to come up with the answer. Why do you have to come up with an answer? So you'll look good. Or you'll get rid of them. Whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in the, the professional helping business, so to speak. And I really got to work at this. Somebody comes up to me because the first thought is, I don't want to listen to this person. I got other things I got to do. And then they start talking. I'm thinking, oh, here's a quick answer. Get rid of them. You know, so, I mean, that's step four. Do step four and die. None of the other. I mean, you know, yeah. Yes, not listening. So you learn to limit distractions in listening, and you learn that from step 11. So you limit distractions, so you listen to one thing, what they're talking about. This is very kindergarten, by the way, existentialism. You listen to one thing. Uh, so um, then you maybe can make a more compassionate response to them as you get, because you might have an insight this is kind of the going back to the makeover. You see something they don't see, and you know how to say it. Not in an authoritarian way, but maybe a suggestion or something you might think about. Uh, or this has helped me. Uh, that, that's, that's what listening is all about, limiting our distracted mind. So, um, sometimes people think, uh, uh, I... I I need more time. And I think what we need is more emptying. We need to work on the emptying, the letting go of stuff in ourselves. Um, so I don't think so much of AA as how much time do I have, but I think how much emptying am I doing? Because you can be in AA a long time and, and, not, and still be not doing too much emptying of all the stuff I talked about in the first part uh, that gets in the way. Letting that stuff go, which I think comes in step 11. Uh, and uh, one of the things that gets, another thing that may get in the way is uh, the, uh, the stuff we know more, more attracts us. Uh, when I'm in the monastery, uh, our rooms are called cells. I spend about three plus months, maybe close to four months a year in a monastery in Stromas, Colorado, Trappist Monastery. A lot of silence, but this is plenty enough talking. And one of the things that uh, we say all of us have is we want to escape our cell. The old desert fathers of the fourth century in Christianity, uh, before the church got too institutionalized, uh, if a monk came to a, an adept, a monk who really knew his stuff. And he says, uh, he called father. Or maybe you go to a woman monk and say, mother. says, what must I do? And sometimes the monk would say, sit in yourself. Let's be with yourself so you can figure out what it is that's getting in the way. You're what's getting in the way. And a lot of times, I just want to get out of my room. And there's plenty of times we have to be out of our room. But there's times when I need to be in my room with me. And sometimes I just want to get out because I want to, I, I want to be distracted. I don't want to be with me. Um, but I disguise it as necessities. So more is what we disguise as a necessity. 
So I say, oh, I've gotten, thank God I've gotten away from this more of alcoholism. I'm no longer attracted to more. I said, how much time do you spend with yourself? Oh, no, I'm very busy, very busy other things. I'm very busy. Um, and with all necessities, and what I'm suggesting is step 11 is the one you don't do, being very interactive with other people. The one reason we might do it in groups, uh, like Joyce's group, for instance, is because you pick up the energy from other people. So I have found that by sitting in a group, sometimes I go in and I'm just, blah, blah, but I show up. I think you get the same thing in a meeting. I show up, blah, I don't want to be here. I'm just here because you know, I should go. You know. uh, and at the end of the meeting, you feel better. Where'd that come from? Oh, must it just come from inside me? I'm so wonderful. It came from the rest of the people. It came from some other energy in the room. Somebody said something, didn't say something, just something. You feel better at the end of the meeting. This often happens. Well, it's the same thing with a group uh, doing a meditation. Same thing with doing yoga in a group instead of doing it with yourself at home. You pick up from others. You see, there's always a unitive aspect to our lives, but we miss it because we're so... Uh, distracted by self-centeredness. We're so into ourselves in the worst way. And one of the things that we do is being so busy with more. It's, it's more attracts us because we can't stand to be with ourselves. So there's never enough of something. Really, there's never enough of, of you. And there is, you are enough, but you just don't know it. And that's something, for those of you who are addicted to spending, that may be what it's all about. We spend, 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 because I, I have to have things, because just me is just not enough. Um, but we should practice and then have Q&A. So why don't we actually, why don't we stand and stretch, and then we're going to do a little practice. <laughs>